Well, we have a poll. If you're watching us live on YouTube right now, I'm conducting a poll. I'm always interested in what my listeners believe. And the question is, does America have room for these migrants? And you have two choices, of course, or I'm bile and plan to burn in hell. Those are your two choices. I'm always curious to find out what my listeners are thinking, because I kind of try to cater to their, their will. That's the poll. Does America have room for these migrants? You have two choices, of course, or I'm bile and plan to burn in hell. House Republicans can't pass a budget or fix the border, but they sure can punish. Usually they end up punishing poor people, migrants, or sometimes their own, you know, like Kevin McCarthy. The border crisis, they insist, is the existential threat of our time, even though they don't know the meaning of the word existential. But the border crisis is their big issue, and apparently it's all Alejandro Mayorkas's fault. Now, we had a border bill a week ago, the most comprehensive border bill in three decades. But Trump killed it because he said, I can't allow Joe Biden to get any credit for solving my migrant crisis. Trump said he needs a migrant crisis to run on, so his lapdogs in the House killed the border bill. And in Republican logic, that makes the migrant crisis Alejandro Mayorkas's fault. For the same reason, right after 9-11, George Bush invaded Iraq, even though 15 of the hijackers were Saudi citizens. And if you don't understand Republican logic, put down the book and start chewing on lead paint chips. Because this isn't about solving problems. It's about casting blame. According to these new articles of impeachment, Mayorkas is charged with willfully and systematically refusing to obey the law without first becoming a card-carrying member of the Republican Party. To refresh your memory, the House last week failed to impeach Mayorkas the first time, but they gave it another shot because Steve Scalise, the majority leader, came back after weeks of stem cell treatment for his blood cancer. Yes, Steve Scalise's blood has been poisoned, perhaps by one of Trump's migrants. You know, he should also check his soil. Usually the migrants poison both the blood and the soil. At least that's what Hitler told me. So yeah, Scalise has blood poisoning. Maybe he caught it from the migrants. Or maybe from all that lead entering his body after surviving an assassination attempt and then still refusing to support an assault weapons ban because that's when the money from the gun lobbyists really started to come into his office. Now, on paper, statistically, this is the least productive House of Representatives in American history. On paper, statistically. But that's unfair because it's not the quantity of bills, it's the quality. 
There's plenty of quality bills these Republicans have passed in the past year. They censured Adam Schiff. They censured Rashida Tlaib for being Palestinian. They threw out George Santos and Kevin McCarthy. And they authorized the Joe Biden impeachment probe. Quality over quantity by addressing all the kitchen table issues we Americans are most concerned about. One of the reasons I do this program is to help you and me separate signal from noise. Signal is the information coming through the speaker. It's as clear as a bell. Noise is your static. Most of what's out there is noise, and it drowns out the signal. On Tuesday, we saw one shining example of signal and one of noise. Let's see if you can tell the difference. House Republicans voted to impeach the head of Homeland Security, making Alejandro Mayorkas the first sitting cabinet official in American history ever to be impeached. It's historic. But is it signal or is it noise? Also on Tuesday, New Yorkers in and around Queens and Long Island voted to replace Republican George Santos, who was thrown out of Congress late last month for embezzling campaign donations. The votes have been counted and the seat has flipped from red to blue in what is considered a bellwether district because it tends to swing between red and blue, depending on the mood of the country. Tom Swazi, the Democrat who served three terms as a congressman from that district until he left for his failed gubernatorial campaign, Tom Swazi won by what in today's terms is a landslide. It looks like it's about seven percentage points. They're still counting. He, outpo- he outperformed the polling heading into Tuesday's election. Now, is that the signal or is that the noise? Is the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas the signal or the noise? Or is Tom Swazi's turning a red seat blue noise or signal? Well, here's the answer. While the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas is historic, it's just noise. It means absolutely nothing. He has to be tried in the democratically controlled Senate for a conviction, and that's never going to happen. Who knows if Chuck Schumer will even hold a trial? I think he can just bring it to a vote and spare the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court a lost day or two of work. I'm not sure, but I don't think you have to have a trial. Mayorkas is going to stay at the job. But now Republicans can blame him for the border and blame the Democrats for not removing him, as though the entire solution to the border resides within the removal of Alejandro Mayorkas. It's perfect for the Republican base. You got your border crisis and you can claim it can be fixed, but Democrats won't let us get rid of Alejandro Mayorkas with his Latin-sounding name. And so, this gives Republicans more noise 
but zero signal to run on in November. The signal is Tom Swazi flipping George Santos's seat from red to blue. Election results are pure signal. Most everything in the lead up to the election is noise. Now, Swazi flipping the seat blue would normally serve as a wake-up call to Republicans to get their act together, but they can't. They can't get their act together because they're now a wholly owned and operated subsidiary of Donald Trump, which means their only product is noise. Make noise and preserve tax cuts for the rich. That's it. Make noise and preserve the tax cuts for the, for the rich. Now, Republicans lost a seat last night. They, like Donald Trump and his $83.3 million E. Jean Carroll judgment, can't afford it. It's a razor-thin majority in the House of Representatives, and I don't mean one of those Gillette Fusion 5 razor-thin majorities. I mean like an old-fashioned, single-edge razor majority, you know, the kind your grandmother still shaves her blistered armpits with. That's how thin this majority is. I mean, take a look at last night's impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. It passed by exactly one vote. Chris Christie has bra straps less tight. This is the slimmest majority congressional Republicans have ever held in American history. That is signal, not noise. When Republicans can't pass a budget, a border bill, when they can't pass an abortion bill, all they are left with is noise. And that noise serves the billionaires because the noise drowns out what the richest 1% of the richest 1% are doing to us not paying taxes. Trump's job, the Republicans, the Republican Party's job is to make a lot of noise while preserving those tax cuts for the rich that tacked on an additional $8 trillion to our national debt. But Swazi's election last night is signal from the American people that they are done with the GOP and that the GOP can't mitigate its abortion problem by scapegoating migrants. It's not working. Because the migrant crisis is just noise designed to drown out all the ways in which our government and the billionaires who control our government have either failed or stolen from ordinary law-abiding Americans. Now, here in New York, there has been an influx of roughly $250,000 250,000, 250,000 migrants. What we have in New York City with the migrants is a crisis of greed. New Yorkers don't want to pay taxes. Wall Street doesn't want to pay taxes. So the mayor is cutting the budget. He needs to scapegoat the migrants for his failure to provide government services. We have a poll in our live chat room. If you're watching us live On YouTube, I'd like to get your opinion on this. The question for the live poll is, does America have room for these migrants? And your two choices are, of course, or I'm bile and I plan to burn in hell. 
I'll have the results of this poll. I'm looking forward to the results at the end of the show. Now back to Tom Swazi. He defeated Republican Maisie Pillip, or Mazzy Pillip. She's an Ethiopian Jew who served in the Israeli Defense Forces, a black Jewish Israeli woman. You know, for a party that hates affirmative action, Republicans sure love candidates who check all the boxes. Republican Maisie Pillip, the Ethiopian Jew, ran on a campaign demonizing immigrants. She was promising to get tough on immigrants. This is an Ethiopian Jew who migrated to Israel and then migrated to America and insists, if I can do it legally, then so can the migrants. But the migrants are doing it legally. They are refugees seeking asylum from gang-infested, corrupt Central American countries. Refugees don't have access to lawyers or money to quote-unquote do it legally. But they're not illegal because what they're doing is perfectly legal. They are asylum seekers. Read the law on this. They're not illegal. What is illegal is America's border policy. Domestic immigration law and international treaties forbid the detention of refugees who are legally entitled to what we're not providing them, due process. If Republicans want to enforce the law when it comes to the border, by all means, spend the millions we need on more immigration judges and let's start processing these asylum claims. Yes, let's follow the law. America currently has a backlog of 1,500,000 cases of asylum seekers. In fact, one-third of the world's backlog of asylum cases are in the United States. Why? Why? Because America is spending more on detaining these people and flying them back to where they came from. We're spending more on that than we are on providing them what they are legally guaranteed. The due process, the due process enshrined in America's immigration law, as well as Article 14 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the 1951 Refugee Convention, and its 1967 Protocol, all of which is legally binding. There is such thing as international law as well, and we have to follow that. I know it's hard for you bigots and you racists and you America firsters to understand this, but the way we're treating the migrants is in violation of domestic immigration law as well as international law. And you can call me a globalist, but America has to obey international law. So the monsters who work for ICE are the illegals. They're the ones, ICE, they're the ones violating immigration law and international treaties by rounding up these refugees and either detaining them 
in for-profit concentration camps and are flying them back to their country of origin, often in chains. And a coalition of rabbis, in case you're concerned, studied these detention camps along the border and concluded these are, in fact, by definition, concentration camps. So if you have a problem with my calling these for-profit detention centers concentration camps, take it up with the Jews. Take it up with the rabbis. These are concentration camps. ICE needs to be eliminated. Eliminated. Abolish. ICE needs to be abolished. Eliminated. And then we need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to investigate the crimes against humanity committed by the monsters, and I do do mean monsters, who work for ICE. ICE is a criminal organization. It is a criminal gang. And mark my words, if Donald Trump, God forbid, ever makes it back into the Oval Office, he and that toad, Stephen Miller, will use ICE as their own palace guard. ICE, mark my words, ICE will go from rounding up the immigrants to rounding up so-called enemies of the state. The infrastructure for a fascist takeover is already in place. We already have hundreds of emergency powers that have been granted to a president. Started back in the mid-70s. The infrastructure for a president to declare a national emergency, it's already in place. The laws are there. And conveniently, we have ICE to enforce the will of such a president. ICE is different. ICE is not the FBI. It's not our military. There are no checks and balances or institutional memory. There's no proud tradition for ICE. It's a brand new agency of thugs, of monsters, and they only answer to the president. So, one and a half million asylum seekers unable to go before a judge, that violates American and international law. Once again, I agree with the Republicans. Let's enforce the law. By arresting any jack-booted monster from ICE who denies these migrants their due process. It is illegal to treat refugees seeking asylum as though they're illegal. They're not illegal Ice, ice is illegal. Alejandro Mayorkas getting impeached is noise. House Republicans losing yet another seat, signal. The same way calling someone illegal is noise, but giving them the due process of an asylum hearing is signal. 1.5 million asylum seekers waiting for their turn before a judge. Shame on you, America. I think it's time to give the Statue of Liberty back to France. This is the mop-up for February 14th, 2024. 
It's Valentine's Day. Melania got a call from Donald. I, I can read it to you if you want me to read you the card that Donald sent to Melania. This is the card that Donald Trump sent to Melania on this Valentine's Day. My dearest Melania, sorry I can only give you this note, but I'm short on cash after a jury just forced me to pay $83.3 million to one of the women I raped. And next month, I have to pay those lawyers who are defending me in the Manhattan courtroom for hiding the hush money payments to that porn star I slept with right after you gave me a son. But happy Valentine's Day. Of all my wives, you're definitely in my top three. Sincerely, Donald J. Trump. Isn't that sweet? I'm David Feldman coming to you from New York City, where unlike the rest of you brain dead hayseeds who live in Florida or Alabama or Mississippi or South Carolina, we here in Manhattan have known Trump was a fraud since 1977. Catch up with us. Catch up. We've known who Donald Trump was since 1977. Thank you for finding me and listening to this show. The House of Representatives voted to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas by a vote of 214 to 213. And that, I guess, solves the situation at the border. All done. Climate, should we go after climate change next? Okay, impeaching Mayorkas accomplishes absolutely nothing other than creating the appearance that House Republicans can get something passed. Joe Biden called it a political stunt and categorized it as a blatant act of unconstitutional partisanship. By the way, uh, these Republicans who voted to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, these are pretty much the same Republicans who voted against impeaching Donald Trump over January 6th. Remember that? Where hundreds of honest-to-goodness illegals broke through the borders and tried to kill Capitol Police officers along with the Vice President of the United States and Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. But hey, it's okay when the people pouring in are white, male, and stupid. Republicans Tom McClintock of California, Ken Buck of Colorado, and Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin all voted against the impeachment resolution. There were three Republicans who voted against the impeachment resolution. Gallagher and Buck have had it with their party and will not be running for re-election. This is how bad things have gotten in the GOP. It's become too repulsive for Republicans who are just simply horrible. Buck and Gallagher are old school Republicans. They're horrible. But the party is now too repulsive for them because they're principled conservatives and they don't recognize their party anymore. You know, before Trump, we were good old fashioned, intolerant paleo bigots. I don't know who these people are anymore. Now, the Mayorkas impeachment trial moves to the democratically controlled Senate, where it's doubtful Majority Leader Chuck Schumer will even dignify the resolution by holding a trial. So why the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas? 
Well, the government starts shutting down on March 1st. We don't have a budget. What to do? What to do? No budget. So House Republicans said to themselves, it's an election year. We have to prove to the American people we can govern. So let's kill the border deal, the foreign aid supplemental. And then after that, for dessert, we'll impeach that Homeland Security Secretary with the Latin-sounding last name, Alejandro Mayorkas. Now, in all fairness, it is the House Republicans, not the Senate Republicans, who are the ones blowing up Washington, D.C., Ted Cruz notwithstanding. But the Republicans in the Senate are behaving almost like adults. The Senate was able to pass a slimmed-down $95 billion foreign aid supplemental this week with border provisions completely stripped out. The bill gives $60 billion for Ukraine's war against Russia, and it also provides $14 billion for Israel to use in Gaza, or should I say on Gaza, but it also includes several billion dollars on humanitarian aid for civilians in Gaza. Now, it seems to me we could bring down the cost of humanitarian aid in Gaza if Israel ended up a few billion dollars shy on weapons. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this, but fewer weapons means less need for humanitarian aid. Just trying to save us some money here. And there's $8.4 billion for Taiwan and neighboring countries to shore up their defenses in case of a Chinese attack. Now, this foreign aid bill, stripped they stripped the border out of it, just all about foreign aid. It got 70 votes with nearly half of the Senate Republicans voting in favor of it. So Republicans in the Senate are not blowing up the foreign aid supplemental. As a matter of fact, the foreign aid supplemental, as is, would pass very easily in the House of Representatives. Yes, you heard me correctly. The foreign aid bill, the $95 billion foreign aid bill that just passed in the Senate, would have no problem passing in the House, which is why Mike Johnson, our speaker, won't take it to the floor. He knows there are enough votes for it to pass. Mike Johnson, and by Mike Johnson, I mean Donald Trump, won't allow a vote on this foreign aid bill. Arizona Republican Andy Biggs told Politico yesterday that, of course, the foreign aid bill would pass in the House. Of course, there are votes there. That is why Mike Johnson will never bring it to the floor. To remind you of the electoral landscape in the House of Representatives, Republicans just impeached Alejandro Mayorkas by a single one-vote majority. The Senate's foreign aid bill 
if it were voted on in the House, would get all the Democrats to vote for it the same way all the Democrats voted against impeaching Mayorkas. And all you need are one or two Republicans who don't take money from Vladimir Putin to vote for it. You just need to find two or three Republicans who are not on Vladimir Putin's payroll. There are some Republicans not on Putin's payroll. You just need to find two or three and the 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 foreign aid supplemental passes. Both Mitch McConnell, the top Republican in the Senate, and Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, they called on Speaker Mike Johnson to bring the foreign aid supplemental to the floor for a vote. And Mike Johnson, after he became Speaker, said he wants to fund Ukraine. But like the border bill, Donald Trump doesn't want it. Trump doesn't want money going to the border, and he certainly doesn't want any money going to Ukraine. Nothing for Ukraine, because that would be bad for Vladimir Putin. If you remember, Trump's first impeachment stemmed from his withholding a congressionally mandated arms shipment to Ukraine. He wasn't going to send it. It's against the law for him not to send it. He told Zelensky on that perfect phone call, give me dirt on Hunter Biden, then you get the hundreds of millions of dollars in weapons. Why? Because Donald Trump answers to Vladimir Putin. So he held up the arms shipment. He wanted dirt on Biden, but he also wanted to lay those American weapons from ever making it to Ukraine. So what's going on right now in the House of Representatives is three-dimensional Putin puppetry. Republicans in the House are claiming we refuse to vote for the foreign aid supplemental because it doesn't include border provisions. But they can't have border provisions because Trump said no. But that gives Republicans cover by voting against the humanitarian aid, it gives the Republicans cover to do Putin's handiwork by voting down Ukraine funding without anyone figuring out that this is a Republican party that pretends to answer to Trump, but really answers to Vladimir Putin. Never forget, I know, Russiagate has lost currency, and people think Rachel Maddow jumped the shark, obsessing on Russiagate. She was right. Obama was right. Read the Mueller report. Read the Durham report. But the Durham report was unable to prove. Never forget, Vladimir Putin has billions and billions and billions of dollars to spread around Washington, D.C., And if that doesn't work, he's also an ex-KGB bureau chief who knows all about that teenage boy you're trying to keep secret. Compromot.
money and compromise. That's what makes the Republican Party go round. Money and compromise. Donald Trump on Saturday promised to invite Vladimir Putin to invade any NATO country that doesn't pay up. He said, they don't pay up. They don't pay into this protection racket we got going. I'm going to call Vladimir Putin and say, just go ahead and invade any European country that doesn't pay up. We're not defending that country. Joe Biden on Tuesday called Trump's statement, quote, un-American, shameful, dangerous, and dumb. If I'm not mistaken, un-American, shameful, dangerous, and dumb also happen to be the nicknames Donald Trump gave to his four adult children right after they were born. He's kind of prescient. He can look at a kid and go, shameful, dangerous, Don Jr., dumb. Now, in order to be a NATO member... (laughs) In order to be a member of NATO, a a nation promises to spend roughly 2% of their entire economy on defense weapons. Donald Trump went into the wrong business. It's not construction. That's not where the money is. Destruction. NATO forces every country, every member country, to spend 2% annually of their entire economy buying up weapons. And Trump doesn't really understand that. He thinks when he says we have delinquent, dues-paying members of NATO, he thinks it's one of his country clubs. Yeah, I mean, member nations have to kick in a little to keep the bureaucracy uh, of NATO going. But the chief expenditures for each member nation is building up their own domestic armies, by spending 2% of their GDP on weapons. And it's kind of suggested. It's considered sporting to spend 2% of your GDP on weapons. If you had a bad year, if your envelopes were a little thin, uh, you don't have to spend that much on, uh, on weapons that year. If you're coming in light, we'll give you a pass. But uh, they do have to spend a large percentage of their GDP buying weapons. They have to, even if they don't need the weapons, they have to buy them anyway. Kind of like here in America. You look at our budget, the Pentagon, low, they, they don't ask for as much money as Congress gives them. But that's the way it is. And with NATO, 2%, you got to buy weapons even if you don't. It's kind of like when your dad comes to visit you while he's on a business trip and the company he works for gave him a per diem that he has to spend. Otherwise, they, they keep, if you don't spend the per diem, they keep it. So he's visiting, so he takes you out to dinner, but you're not hungry. So he insists, order the tow missiles anyway. Have it. Get it wrapped up and give them to your roommate. Because I have to spend the per diem or it goes back to the company. That's basically how the 2% mandate works. They have to spend money on weapons, even if they're not hungry. 
Well, how are we doing on time here? Oh, not bad. I have a final thought on the foreign aid supplemental. Republicans, believe it or not, are correct in one respect. Bundling legislation has to stop. And Congress needs to get back to passing single-subject bills. It's like wire-cutting. You're sick of your cable company telling you 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 have to take Fox News even if you just want to pay for C-SPAN and CNN. They bundle it. They force you, and you say, forget it. And they say, oh, you don't care about the news? You don't want to watch CNN? Yes, I want to watch CNN, but I don't care what Fox News has to say. Well, that's too bad. We've bundled it. That's how Congress works. They bundle these bills. And Congress needs to get back to regular order. It's called regular order where you pass single subject bills, especially when it comes to foreign aid, because Israel is not Ukraine, is not Taiwan, is not the border, is not the humanitarian aid for Gaza. They're all separate issues that deserve a thumbs up or a thumbs down individually. Bundling all this together is undemocratic and it dumbs down the process. It forces senators and members of Congress and the president uh to be stupid and, and, to, and to confuse the American people. Uh, that's what bundling does. But voting for each individual appropriation as a single subject bill smokes everybody out. We get to find out what Rand Paul thinks about funding Israel, what he thinks about funding Taiwan. Money to Israel should not be tied to Ukraine. Zelensky shouldn't suffer because of Gaza. Humanitarian aid to Gaza shouldn't be tied to weapons for Israel. The two kind of cancel each other out, if you think about it. This vote for it all, vote for it all or you get nothing, well, they call it in Washington hostage taking. I call it my cable bill. We need single-subject bills. That's the answer. Cut the cord. Single-subject bills. It's what the the Freedom Caucus is demanding. A return to what is called regular order, not what we've got here with this humanitarian aid bill. It's a prepackaged piece of legislation that offers no room for debate. The political discussions are insane when you bundle these bills. I'm going to vote against the foreign aid supplemental. Really? Why do you hate Israel? I don't hate Israel, but I want to give the money to Ukraine. I'm voting against the supplemental. Don't you want to give the people of Gaza humanitarian aid? Yes, but I don't want to give Israel the bombs that makes the humanitarian aid necessary. Single subject bills. Israel, thumbs up, thumbs down. Gaza relief, thumbs up or thumbs down. 
Ukraine, thumbs up or thumbs down? The border, thumbs up or thumbs down? Taiwan, thumbs up or thumbs down? Don't put them all together. It's undemocratic. The Labor Department's monthly numbers out yesterday show inflation is coming down, but not as quickly as economists predicted. January's annualized inflation rate came in at 3.1% over last January's. That's not bad. Uh, December's annualized inflation rate was 3.4%. So clearly it's coming down, but inflation was expected to come in uh, for January at around 2.9%. And 2% is considered the sweet spot. That's what the Federal Reserve wants. They want to get inflation down to 2%. Now, because the rate of inflation isn't coming down as quickly, the Federal Reserve is no longer expected to lower interest rates. The Fed, which is really just works for the banks, they won't admit it, uh, when they raise interest rates, when they keep interest rates high, uh, banks make more money. The Fed, uh, that's inflation for the banks when they raise interest rates. Uh, that's greedflation, actually, for the banks. The Fed raises interest rates, they claim, to slow the economy in the hopes of bringing down costs. But it's really to increase profits for the banks. There is a, no, a new, there's a new post-COVID school of economics that's gaining traction where many are starting to admit that the Fed raising and lowering interest rates has little effect on inflation, which is more likely caused by supply chain issues, climate change, and corporations gaining pricing power through the purchase of their competitors. You can, you know, my cable company can pretty much charge, well, they used to be able to charge whatever they want, but people are cutting the cord. So we've also come to learn of this thing called greedflation, where prices are being raised because corporations can blame inflation. Hey, it's inflation. We have to raise prices. We're blaming inflation instead of our insatiable desire for oversized profits. So the Fed is just there to increase profits for the banks. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Let's go to the poll. We, we had a poll. I want to find out. I want to say hello to the people who are watching this show live on YouTube. And we have a poll in the chat room. The question is, does America have room for these migrants for, for the banks? banks. I'm David Feldman reminding I always get this wrong. So we have, what, what do we have here? We have six, I can't find it. We have, hello everybody. We have 642 votes. So if you're watching us live, you might want to check out the chat room and, and vote. And the question is, does America have room for all these migrants? And you have two choices. Of course... Or, um, <laughs> sorry, I just read something in the chat. Uh, 
does America have room for all these migrants? You have two choices, of course, or I'm bile and plan to burn in hell. And I've got 655 votes. I'm going to end the poll right now. Coming in second with 5% of the vote is I'm bile and plan to burn in hell. And an overwhelming majority of my listeners, 95%, say, of course, America has plenty of room for these migrants, which we do. It's a distribution issue. Most of these migrants are being bussed around the country by Greg Abbott, spending millions to bust these poor people to blue cities that don't need the migrants. They're needed in Kansas. Kansas is offering to pay migrants. They're, they're I think, $1,500 per migrant, maybe even more. Pittsburgh is begging for migrants. It's a distribution issue. If we don't start allowing these migrants in and processing all these asylum claims, our population is going to get smaller. It's already starting to get smaller. And small, look at what's happening in Japan. No, you don't have economic growth. A declining population is a burden on the economy and a burden on old people because you need young people to work to pay taxes and pay into Social Security, Medicare. That's what keeps these programs afloat is new blood. There's plenty of room in this country for these migrants. Shame on you, America, for not, for not talking about this the right way. Shame on you. It's, it's sinful that we're treating these migrants this way. Shame on you, America. That was the original title of this show. Shame shame on you, America. With your host, David Feldman. Uh, Please like this episode. Share it with your friends. If you want to help me in any way, that's the best way. Is to like this episode so I remain in your feed. And please share it. That's what grows this program. I can't do it without my listeners. So do that, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and my newsletter. And thank you to everybody in the chat room, and thank you to Bob for keeping the conversation civilized. And I will try to see you tomorrow. I'm going to try to do more live shows. I have energy, so I will try to see you all tomorrow. Thank you. 